This is the Locked On Bengals Podcast. I'm James Erpine. Great to be with you. Joe Goodberry coming up in 60 seconds on Twitter. At James Erpine, at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. And wherever you get your podcast, thank you so much for tuning in today. I-, I wanted to start with this. I read this in The Ringer yesterday. The Ringer wrote about Carlos Dunlap and about the uh, Bengals potentially trading him since he's in the final year of his contract. And with that, let's bring in Joe Goodberry. Let's get his thoughts on it. I wouldn't do it barring Joe, barring something unforeseen, a first-round pick or some kind of crazy thing in return. But when I say that, when I say that The Ringer wrote about trading Carlos Dunlap. Would you do it? Would you not do it? And what would you be looking in return to get for a guy like Dunlap? Well, my first question would be, what's the compensation? You know, are we talking um, a starter, maybe an offensive lineman? Is it a defensive tackle, maybe a nose tackle, a linebacker? I don't know. I I really look at the roster and I say, I don't know what I would trade him for. The, the, the replacement level of, let's say, Jordan Willis and maybe Sam Hubbard uh, playing the left-end spot, I don't think it's a huge drop-off based on potential. But I think Dunlap is a top-five player on this team, and losing him in return, it has to be a first-round pick, in my opinion. I think he's young enough. I think his salary is low enough that you can give him a decent raise and extend him and without breaking the bank. Uh, if that happened, uh, it, w- it would be interesting. I think some teams may make that decision it just doesn't seem like a Bengals move at all I think like the Patriots I think a couple years ago when they moved Chandler Jones when they couldn't get a deal done uh that seems similar to me in my mind uh I don't think the Bengals would do that at all but at the same time they have talent and they've continued to draft defensive ends over the last two years that could potentially replace Carlos Dunlap yeah and that's what's interesting to me I don't think Maybe a team would give up a first-round pick. I don't think so. But to me, they've said how all offseason they want to win now. And all of the the players behind him that that do have potential, I can't bank on. I know what Carlos Dunlap is. I wouldn't take that risk unless maybe you get a right tackle that you are surefire know that you can be, you know, keep him around for multiple years and you don't have to worry about a Jake Fisher or Cedric Abwehi. Let's be honest, all three of those guys, Bobby Hart, Cedric Abwehi, and Jake Fisher, even if they play okay this year, they're all free agents to be. It's not like any of those guys are, are under contract long term. So that would be the one area where I could see them considering it, uh, a right tackle that they think they could pair with Cordy Glenn and Billy Price and Clint Bowling and just be studs on the offensive line together. Outside of that, I don't know why. I mean, a first-round pick, sure, but that doesn't make you better now. And if he leaves in free agency, they can get a, a compensatory pick for him anyway. Yeah, that'd probably be a third-round compensatory pick. I'm sure that'd probably be in 2020. But at the same time, that's why it would have to be a first-round pick, I, I think, in my mind, to even consider it. Um, but you're right. It would have to be a starting offensive lineman for that because what position is more important than um, edge edge rusher and or edge defender and it's just maybe quarterback and left tackle uh, so i don't even know if you would trade it would be have to be a good starting right tackle for a one for one for carlos Dunlap, even if you have um solid depth behind him and even if they may be unknowns in willis and hubbard uh yeah i wouldn't trade a cornerstone player which i think Dunlap is and especially a one at a premium position for anything less than a budding pro bowl right tackle we're getting closer and closer to training camp. Training camp starts on July 26th. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic with us. I'm James Rapine. As far as 
contracts go. I was expecting someone to get extended at some point in this month, uh, whether it's Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, maybe someone else. Uh, as far as that goes, do you think they're going to get something done before training camp starts with a Geno or with a Carlos? Yeah, I don't know if it's right before training camp. That's usually how they do it is either like the week before camp as guys are showing up, they, they sign. Um, I don't know if that works out that way on purpose, but that, that's the way it seems it has gone in the past. Uh, it's not, it's during camp and I do think at least one will be extended. I wouldn't be surprised at two. I wouldn't be surprised if they even dipped into some of the lower guys, maybe like a Tyler Cross, um, and, and start securing the, the next phase of the offseason in the roster. Yeah, that, that's the the interesting thing to me is the, Tyler Croft, what do they do with him? The Tyler Eifert thing, I haven't talked about it much on this podcast because I was out, so I'll ask you about it. Tyler Eifert goes down, doesn't participate, I guess, in minicamp. I didn't see much on it. I saw some quotes from Marvin. What do you make of, of Eifert's health and, and what you've read or, or what we know about the injury? I think we just have to consider him a bonus player at this point. Um and that's hard to say because I honestly believe the offense is worse without him, obviously. But at the same time, I think they need him. It's not just that it'd be nice to have Tyler Reifert because he's good. It's that you really have A.J. Green and nobody else at this point. Sure, Tyler Croft is a, is a solid player, uh, but he's not scaring defenses the way Tyler Reifert can if he is healthy. And even when he played last year, he was a shell of himself. So I think at this point, as far removed as we are from 2015, um, he's a bonus player, and if you get anything from him, if you get anything great from him, it's a, it's cherry on top. Even though they need him, I, I don't think you can count on him. I don't think you should be building your offense with him in mind, which it seems like they they may have in previous years, even though he was hurt. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they fold him in once he is healthy. Yeah, it, it will. And that's the the other question: if he's not healthy, Tyler Croft came in, played pretty well last year. What do you make of him? How does he show up on film? And then C.J. Uzama as well. Both have gotten significant playing time over the past couple of years. Yeah, first Croft was a guy I liked a lot coming out of Rutgers. I thought he had the vertical speed to really stretch the seam, uh, put pressure on safeties and linebackers upfield. I think he showed to be the wide tight end early, and the wide tight end is more of the inline blocker. Uh, while Croft was the move, t- I mean, the, the Eifert was the move tight end, the guy you can flex and, and put in the slot and do other things with. And that made sense, the pairing of those two. Croft, uh, once he had to play last year, was allowed to do a little bit more and and, and was used a little bit in, in a variety of ways where he can get flexed out a little bit more, which I think he can do. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think a lot of his stuff, a lot of his catches, a lot of his plays were just making – the most of an opportunity. I think he's a solid tight end, maybe a really good number two. I mean, he had six touchdowns. I think he could do that consistently if you if he was in an offense that, that featured him. Um, the next guy, C.J. Uzama, I think is a guy that a lot of people have forgotten about or, or really we've overlooked, and I may be guilty of this myself. When I was going through and doing my rankings for the Athletic, doing the top 50 Bengals of 2018, um, I go back and I'm regrading every player because I, I have current grades on everyone. I have a grade on C.J. Uzama when he came out from Auburn where he, they drafted him in the fifth round, the second tight end that year, Tyler Croft. And I had a grade of a sub-65, which is a day three pick, pick developmental-type prospect. And he was a blocker a lot of times for Auburn, but he didn't have a tight end coach, so you could see his blocking needed development, needed a lot of technique work. Um, he needed to get stronger. 
he had some athleticism, especially some straight line speed. And at 6'6", 260, he looked like he could be a weapon as a receiver. But he was a developmental guy. And since then, um, every year I've upped his grade just a little bit and a little bit because I think his development has been evident on tape. You can see how much better he's gotten. And then this past year when Eifert was finally down for the year, um, Uzama was activated because he's been inactive and active for the first two years really randomly as guys have been hurt. He gets in. He, he's, be, he's behind the pecking order to Ryan Hewitt. Um, there was times even the first couple games he was behind Stephen Carter. And it was interesting because once he was activated and once they started to rely on him on special teams because you have to play special teams as the third tight end, second tight end, even the first guy. But um, once they had to, in the first two years, he played about 70 snaps a year on special teams. This past year, he played to over 240 snaps on special teams, and I thought he took a leap in that part of the game. Uh, I think he had six solo tackles, four assisted tackles, ten ta- tackles total on special teams. Um, I posted a video of that. It'll be on the, the athletic report uh, of Uzama. And not just special teams, but his blocking is developed. He, they use him as that move tight end, like I described to Eifert, where they're going to put him in motion or they'll put him off the line of scrimmage. They can flex him out. They're putting him in the backfield. When Hewitt got hurt last year, Uzama was the guy who came in to be the H-back, and I thought he did better than Hewitt did. He was a much more athletic guy, bigger target as a receiver, and just as good of a blocker a lot of times. So for me, when I looked at it this year, I said, well, they're not using Hewitt as it is. Um, and I know Jeff Hobson has written that they need to get back to it and they need to run the ball and they need to pound the ball. And it's, you know, they had their best rushing game and they had their best offense when they were able to run it behind Hewitt. There's some truth to that. But at the same time, I think Uzama can do that job better than Hewitt can. And if, you, if Hewitt is on the roster bubble, and I think he, he very well could be making $2 million a year, um, it would be because Hewitt, I mean, because Uzama can replace him as the H-back for those three, four, five snaps a game. So for me, I think you could extend a Tyler Cross and a C.J. Uzama fairly cheap this offseason. If Eifert continues to be injured, that would probably be the play to go um, and secure that. And then maybe you draft a guy the year, next year or the following year that can maybe be something more or something extra. Um, but I, I do like the depth at tight end. I think they're, they're, they're well off at tight end, but I do think Tyler Eifert is a bonus moving forward. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. I'm James Erpine. And, yeah, Joe, it's it's interesting because I was thinking yesterday uh, about where this team, where their strengths are. And, and to me, the, the Dunlap thing, to circle back to it, um, it, it one of their strengths is, is defensive line. But that that is interesting. You mentioned tight ends, and, and we're talking about it. And as you break it down there, I would say that they got a pretty good group because you have the the upside in Tyler Eifert, the Pro Bowl upside if things go right. And if not, you have two stabilizers in Tyler Croft and C.J. Uzama there. It's It, it almost went – I didn't even think about the tight end position, but it does seem like that's a, a position of strength for the Bengals. And Hewitt and Stephen Carter I think are solid. If, you're, if that's your four and five, and if all those guys make the roster – um, because you may want to keep an extra receiver this year with the, with the young talent they've added. Um, that's a good group. And I think Mason Shrek, who they drafted two years ago out of, out of UB, uh, Buffalo, that is, um, he has a lot of upside as a receiving tight end. I, I think he's going to push not only for the practice squad spot if he's healthy, but maybe on that back end roster. So, yes, they're good at tight end. And 
how they use them is really what's key. And if they can get them more involved, if you don't have Eifert, if Croft is your inline guy and Uzama is your flex guy, that makes sense. And the comparing of them could probably give you a lot of what Eifert gave you. But using them and using them the right way is, is always key. And I think we say that a lot about a lot of players on this offense. And the hope with Bill Lazor is that he can use these guys and, and use them the right way. We say it with receiver. We say it with running back. Um, because a lot of times you feel like they just insert guys and expect them to run the same plays that everyone else is. There's some understanding with that, but at the same time, scheming guys open is, is part of the game. And when you watch the Eagles the past year, uh, that's all they did. And all of their guys were getting open because of it. Uh, so, yes, I think tight end, I would say running back, is another strength of this team. I think receiver can be. Yeah, I wouldn't say it is right now because there's so many unknowns, but I think the defensive line also. And then I do like what they have at safety. Even though they don't have the star, I think Aloka and Sean Williams are capable starters. Jesse Bates in the second round, you're obviously adding depth. Um, Josh Shaw, who's also coming up on the, on the top 50, I think his job could be a little bit unsecure right now as guys like Brandon Wilson, who was drafted last year, does a lot of what Shaw does. Uh, and Devontae Harris can do a lot of what Shaw does. So it'll be interesting for him. But then special teams days, you got Feggie uh, at safety, who, who honestly I think he's their best special teams guy at this point. Um, that is a good core group there at safety. So they have some positions to hang their head on. I think tight end is one of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the the overlying like big cloud hanging over this team, and it's something I always have to say or preface or or say after or offer a disclaimer about when I talk about the offense, when I get excited about Joe Mixon weighing 220 and being absolutely shredded, when I get excited about John Ross and, and how he the offseason he's had and, and just the potential of this offense, it always goes back to, well, how does Bill Lazor use him? Is Bill Lazor going to be able to make this work? And I know you studied Bill and some of his tendencies and what he's done in the past, so I'll ask you, as of right now, I don't trust Bill Lazor to do that. I hope I'm wrong. Obviously, he's going to get his chance to prove himself. Do you trust Bill Lazor to implement the offense, use the guys the right way, and, and ultimately give the Bengals, put them in a position for success this year? No, I don't as of this point. But I, I don't think it's unfair to say most coordinators and most teams around the league have fans screaming the same thing, that, hey, you're not using this guy the way you should, or, or that's the reason why this guy's not producing the way he should. I think fantasy football and the proliferation of that has something to do with it. As you have this guy on your team, you're like, well, you know, why, why aren't they using him? Why does he only have 10 touches or 8 touches or 6 touches this game? Um, so I think there's some of that. When I go back and watch Laser at Miami and, and when he's a quarterback coach for Philly under Chip Kelly, um, I think this is the most talent he's probably had on an offense with the Bengals, even though the offensive line has some holes in a shaky, uh, you know, like we said, tight end receivers and running backs could be some of the deepest parts of this team. So using them and using all of them is key, and that's fair to say, and how to use them because there are differing skill sets, even though I do believe before with Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard, you had two polar opposites, and it was hard to use them. I think with Mixon and Geo, even though one's bigger than the other, I think they have similar styles and, and, and natural abilities where they're better zone runners, they're better with vision, um, they're great receivers. So you should be able to have the same playbook for those two and just intermix them uh, as you want. And speaking of mixing, and you said he's down to 220, um, he was also 
uh, 21 years old last year, which is the youngest running back in the league last year. And I went and looked at other running backs in NFL history that were 21 years old and that had at least 650 rush yards and 250 receiving yards. And there's a very small list of, of 12 players, uh, 11 outside of Mixon. And let me read the names to you and let me see what you think. Edron James, Ezekiel Elliott, Marshall Falk, <laughs> Jamal Lewis, Barry Sanders, Clinton Portis, Le'Veon Bell, Eric Metcalf, Maurice Jones-Drew, and LaShawn McCoy. That's the group he's in of 21-year-olds that have done what he did. And even though he didn't have the production we expected last year, he could have been even more productive. But it's very rare for a 21-year-old to have that production that early. They always end up being Pro Bowl really good players. Yeah, it's the thing that that's interesting too. I think about Mixon is the line sucked. <laughs> like the line was right. dreadful. Bill Lazor was all they like. They didn't know how to yep. use multiple running backs, and so it, even it, it's funny that he's in that category with all of those former great players, great running backs, some current. And the line was dreadful. There were so many things working against him last year. It's not like they had a good passing attack or even a good offense. At times, Joe Mixon might have been the. The guy, I, you know, that they had to get going right away at times. So, yeah, I look, I don't think anyone questions his talent. It just comes back down to, to Bill, and I just hope to God Bill finds a way. I don't think it's hard if you're a coordinator in the league to figure out, like, Geo and Joe and Joe and Geo and how to get them both in the game and use them at the same time at, at times. I watched New Orleans do it last year to a T. Uh, hopefully yep. that the, the Bengals can do it because you're right. I, I think Joe Mixon, you mentioned fantasy could be a fantasy stud this year if the Bengals use him right. He could break out in a big way. I mean, I, w- I don't think it would be crazy if he had 1,300, 1,400 total yards, you know, because I think as a receiver, he's as good as any running back in the league. He could really be that type of guy. And uh, they didn't use him that way, so we didn't get to see it too much out of a couple of, outside of a couple of screens. Um, but when you go back to Oklahoma tape and watch him run routes and actually split them out and, and ran a drag route or, or, or a slant route with him, he ran it like a receiver. So um, I'm still hopeful for that and to see that because I think we talk about John Ross a lot uh, because we didn't get to see him. And we say, you know, his impact could change the offense. And it's hard to try and explain that to people because they haven't seen him. We all got to see Mixon. We all got to see him behind a bad O-line in an offense that couldn't figure out what they could and couldn't do until really the last two games of the year, and Mixon was hurt for that. Um, so we all saw his talent. I would express the same thing, that he can change the offense. He's one of those guys on this team, a budding star, that if they do it right and if he takes that next step, and it sounds like he has by just you know just his weight getting down to being in better shape, um, Le'Veon Bell did the same thing that second year and exploded that second year. Uh, he's been compared to him in many ways for running style, for uh, attributes, receiving ability. That would change the offense. Put Le'Veon Bell on this offense, on the Bengals. Do you look at the Bengals as a different team? Oh, uh, Le'Veon Bell? Yeah. No. I mean, yes, because I know he can do that, but I think Mixon could do that right now. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, saying, you know, I'm, so... I'm saying put, put him on the roster. Now, do you think of the Bengals of, you know, maybe they're eight, nine wins, or do you go now with Le'Veon Bell, who I'm saying Mixon could be? Um, do you say, man, that's maybe 10, 11 wins? Sure. I I do. I think most fans would. But I, I think Mixon could be just as good as Bell right now. So, I, like, I'm with you on that. So, I know that sounds crazy, and, like, Steelers fans might hate me now. Um, but I, I do think that's the reality. Like, if Mixon gets a shot here... He could have, and that it did take Bell his second years when he kind of exploded onto the scene. 
Um, yeah, he, he averaged 3.5 just like Mixon did his rookie year. But Mixon, I think, had the talent and didn't need to wait. It was just the Bengals didn't use him, et cetera. But, yeah, this year do I think – and let me let me counter that because I, I wrote about this at LockedOnBengals.com. Will you, would you say who's more important? And, and you're high on both, so I, I feel comfortable asking you this. Joe, uh, Joe Mixon or John Ross, who's more important to the Bengals offense in 2018? That's – that is such a hard question, I'll be honest. Um, because the replacement level of if Mixon isn't who we think he can be, Giovanni Bernard is still a really good player and one of the most underrated players on the team, I think. Um, people say, why doesn't he get used more? Or, or, you know, why haven't they ever used him more? Is it because he can't handle it? I think how they've used him for the most part is exactly how he should be used, and he's been a consistent playmaker for this offense. Um, so if you if Mixon isn't that guy, you still are good at running back. And they drafted Mark Walton in the fourth round. So the replacement there is um, not as far as the drop-off. If John Ross isn't who we think he is uh, or is injured again, you cannot drop Brandon LaFell and Tyler Boyd out there again. You better hope that uh, Josh Malone it takes the next step in his development and is that speed threat on the outside because it cannot just be A.J. Green as a receiving option again. People say a lot of times, you know, because the offensive line is such a detriment if it's bad to Andy Dalton's game, and I agree with that. But receivers not getting open and winning versus man-to-man coverage is just as big of an impact on his confidence and psyche and his trust in the offensive line. Um, without John Ross, there is a huge impact throughout the entire team. I would say the same with Mixon. I'm not underselling that. I just think because of the depth behind Mixon, Ross's impact and reliability what they what the team is asking of him may be more important than Mixon's. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a I'm a bit surprised. I think it's I think it's Mixon. And and we're we're splitting hairs here, but I, I think Mixon is the key to unlocking everything. And I watched Andy Dalton throw the deep ball last year. Uh I, I don't know if I trust Dalton fully to, to lead or, or carry this offense, even if the offensive line does what it needs to do for him and John Ross is healthy. I do think Joe Mixon has the potential to be like a superstar in this league. I don't know if John Ross can be that. You know, like right. I, I, I think John Ross, best case scenario, is he Deshaun Jackson maybe, but I don't know if Deshaun Jackson was ever a superstar. Obviously, so Deshaun Jackson or Le'Veon Bell, right? You're taking Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell. And that that's the thing is is if you're telling me that, that's that's actually a really good way to put it. So, yeah, that there's Joe Mixon. That's why I go with Joe. But it is close. I wouldn't fight you on it, to be honest with you. As I'm saying it, when you were asking me, I'm thinking, Mixon, even if he's... I, I, I'm thinking of the Seahawks when they went to the Super Bowl against the um, the Steelers, and they rode Sean Alexander. Yeah, Feels like a long time ago. Um, but Alexander was the MVP, and that offense really didn't have much outside of him. And they gave it to him like 400 times, and they leaned on, on him. And that may be a different NFL game already, uh, but I think the Bengals could do that with Mixon. I think they could get to a point where they're like, the receivers aren't getting open still. Mixon's hurt. Eifert's hurt. The O-line is at least solid up from center to left side. We're going to run the ball, and we're going to lean on Mixon, and we're going to move Mixon around, and we're going to get him the ball, and we're going to ride this this young running back. And if he's playing like a stud, we're going to ride him, and he's going to be our offense. I could see that happening and I can see that being a reality and I could see it working yeah it'll be interesting I've, I've one more for you Joe 
And this one uh, is is interesting. It's something I've talked about a lot. Who has the worst quarterback room in the AFC North? Uh, it's hard to say because... Oh, don't you dare. You know who it is. Well, because this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, starter-wise, the Bengals have the, the second-best starter in the division. Um, I think he's better in Flacco. I think he's better in Tyrod, if we're saying Tyrod's the starter in Cleveland. But obviously, the Ravens and the Browns drafted first-round quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, two guys we loved. And then the Steelers got Mason Rudolph. And the Bengals, you know, they waited until the seventh round to take Logan Woodside, who's already been arrested. So the Bengals did not make the same effort to secure that position that the other three division teams did. Um, the Bengals have the worst quarterback room because of it, because we've seen rookies come in and play well. And in year one, Baker Mayfield could come in and play well. Lamar Jackson could be better than Flacco. But let's say they get a year to sit. I think that can only help those two guys. And so the Ravens and the Browns go into the next phase of this AFC North that I think could be up to gra- up for grabs in two years if, if Big Ben's gone with two young first-round quarterbacks, and yet the Bengals will probably still be looking for their guy at that point. Um, yeah, they have the worst situation at, at quarterback right now. Yeah, to, to me, that it's surely them. I mean, we could be talking about week eight. Baker Mayfield, if let's say he starts week five to week eight and he's like surging, and obviously Lamar Jackson, we're high on him. Like the idea of Tyrod Taylor being the backup in Cleveland, well, he's certainly better as a backup than anything the Bengals have. I just, oh yeah, it, it stinks. Like to me, would you go? I would go in free agency. That's the one free agent move I would still look to make. I would try to find somebody else. And I know it sucks like, having to like force feed someone, especially a quarterback in training camp. But whether it's a Matt Moore, I, I looked, Matt Moore, Derek Anderson, someone like that, I, I'd take them over Matt Barkley every single day. And I know it's not like so you, a, You've a seen big some difference. practices, though, James. So you're saying Barkley's been that bad, huh? I just think they're all bad. I just think they're <laughs> okay. all bad. I think they're you, – you trust in Jeff Driscoll? Like, and and no. I know I'm not trusting Matt Moore to, to win, you know, half of – you know, if, he, if Andy's out 10 games, they're screwed anyways. But if he's out three, you're trusting, you know – Either one of those guys, whether it's Jeff Driscoll, it's not going to be Logan Woodside. Whether it's Jeff Driscoll or um, why, why Matt Barkley, I keep I was almost saying Matt Moore. Matt Barkley in that situation, I'm not. So it's a, I, I it's hope a they bad situation. Somewhere. This is the worst backup quarterback room the Bengals have had under Marvin Lewis. It's always been agreed. Um, John Kitna. It's always been Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, AJ McCarron. This is none of that. This. is... You know, we're talking about guys who have started in the league and have played well. That's not the case here right now with, with what the Bengals have. And the, uh, if Andy Dalton does go down, not only let's say let's say camp or preseason, Dalton's oh man, he broke his thumb. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. I mean, are we talking about the number one pick, or are we like you better go trade for Teddy Bridgewater and give up a second rounder? Yeah, and that's that's what I don't get. That's I, I have no idea what they're doing because if. If you're telling me you have Derek Anderson, well, at least he's had some success in the league. What's Matt Barkley done? You know, I, I, Matt Moore, yeah. I could see him keeping them above, uh, right around 500 with him, potentially if things go well. I don't see that happening for Matt Barkley. You, you would know better than I would. Have you ever watched he Matt had Barkley? A stretch. <laughs> yeah, I did because he was number 47 or 48 on my top 50 Bengals, which is not high. I mean, that's your bottom of the roster, um, you know, 53, 55 guys. Um, so yeah, he's 
bottom of the roster. And when I watched them go back to Chicago, which they had some success for a small stretch um, of time, he's just he's just a guy. He's he doesn't have a strong arm. He's not athletic. He has to throw with anticipation and trust, but he doesn't have great accuracy, so he forces the ball a lot. He gets into precarious situations because of that, uh, because he knows he needs to force it and, and he needs to throw so early. He's got to trust his guy to be in the right spot. It's, it's a lot of bad decisions. His pocket presence isn't good. It's combined with subpar athleticism. You don't want him in the game. He may make a few throws for you. He may get you through a second half if Dalton goes down. He may get you through a drive if Dalton needs to go use the bathroom and come back. But the <laughs> point is, you're leaning on Joe Mixon if that happens. And you're leaning on him hard. Um, and that's the situation they put themselves in, where they would either have to overpay for a backup or just take a lost season because the backup situation is that bad. Yeah, and I hate it. I, I like it, it's, And it stinks, really, because honestly... Pray a, for McCarron. A, 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 that's right, right? Like, A.J. McCarron got screwed, and the Bengals Peterman aren't better off without him. reps with the Bills. He's not. Peterman is taking first reps. Oh. Um, McCarron's taking second, and they want you know Josh Allen obviously to be that guy, and and eventually. So, I mean, I could still see McCarron starting, but they drafted Nathan Peterman last year and really liked him, and now he's taking first team reps. Yeah, McCarron. He always struggled in camp. Like I'm, I'm down there with Tony Pike, and like Tony was like, "Look at McCarron. Like last year, the year before, it was always. I remember the same. talking to you about it last year because in, in preseason it was terrible too. Yeah, it's just weird to me. You, you would think he would be so, and maybe he is. I, you know, I'm far away from it, but so dialed in. I would have picked him to beat out Nathan Peterman. I'm not going to lie. And it's funny because most of his tape has been preseason, right? I mean, because he only had that four games in 2015, and most of his preseason tape isn't good at all. And I wonder if that affected him at all. I don't know how much teams actually look at preseason tape. It does, you know, when you're looking for bottom roster guys, that's the only tape you have sometimes. But for McCarron, who only had a short amount of tape in regular season, I wonder if they went back and looked at it because he didn't get a lot of interest out there at all. And now here he is, you know, getting beaten out by Nathan Peterman, who threw five interceptions in his first half of a start versus the Chargers last year. Um, that's that's alarming. It is. It is alarming. He's Joe Goodberry of the Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Uh, so Matt Moore, you on board with that? Or I'm not crazy. I don't care. I think even if it's Matt Moore, you're probably. Bad. I don't like that. See, I don't like that. Uh, I don't like that attitude. I, I'm looking for upgrades. <laughs> I'm looking for upgrades. If Manziel was out there, you. where's Johnny? Bring him in. No, I'm just. Kidding. Hey, now that <laughs> listen, when does CFL end? I don't even know when their schedule ends and when it goes. But he, it, he's got a two-year deal. Year. Okay. He, yeah, I was going to say, say the season ends halfway through the regular season of the NFL, and and you're like, hey, we need a backup. Where's Johnny at? Where's Johnny? Yeah, where's Johnny? Uh, I hope we don't get to that situation. That's the thing is like, I won't be able to talk crap about Andy this year because there's no one even close to his right. husband on the roster. <laughs> when, like, you know how fans always say to you, "Well, who else would you want in there? Who or are we just going to go out in the street and get somebody better?" I think this year is their best case. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there's nobody better on the roster. <laughs> no doubt about it, Joe. I appreciate the time as always. What do you got coming up on the Athletic? Still going with my rankings. Uh, we're in the, the 30s, 35 to 33 today. The, um, I, I, I hope people want to watch these and click on them. A lot of low-end roster guys, bottom-of-the-roster guys, we may not know them as well. We, you know, 
they may only play special teams, may only get maybe 200 snaps on offense, and like in the case of C.J. Uzama. Um, I've got breakdowns of them, like for Ozama, blocking, um, receiving, special teams, two-minute videos where I talk over the video and I discuss, and then plus another 1,000 words on them. So it, it's really um, this is quality stuff, in-depth stuff. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Uh, as we're getting higher in these rankings, though, it's, it's getting more fun. These are a lot of guys, a good group of probably the next 10 to 15 guys that could change this roster if they jump into that next you know, phase of their game, take a leap in development. Last year, I remember we were talking about like four or five guys that could um, really impact this team, push this team over the top. I think this year, because a lot of those guys didn't, um, that group is deep this year of guys that could potentially end up being really good players or flame out. And I, I think this roster really hangs on the balance of these next this next group of guys coming up on this list. Good stuff there from Joe Goodberry. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Check out his work for The Athletic as well. He's going to be joining me every single week during the season for our weekly Bengals film review. We do that each and every season, so that's one thing. Also going to be joining me during training camp. This is the number one spot to get all things Bengals training camp covered. So, hey, keep it locked right here. Make sure you're listening here to the Locked on Bengals podcast. New, new outro music today. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app. Check out LockedOnBengals.com. Have a great 4th of July, and until Thursday, I'm James Erpine. Thank you for listening to the Locked On Bengals Podcast.